the future is hybrid. And uh, I think we are absolutely thinking about how hybrid is that? Um, like a car, is it? How electronic is it? And, uh, so, so, so same thing is like, how much do we rely on that? Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaSDoc. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be chatting to this week's guest about what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today. We're counting down to SaaS Docomia, which is taking place in October from the 12th to the 15th. It's gonna be the most actionable online conference for B2B SaaS founders, executive and investors in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Fancy joining us? Use the code SASREVOLUTION for 20% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Reshma Sahoni, founder at Seacamp. Welcome, Reshma. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Great to have you. You said things weren't going well. I hear you've broken your fast uh, today. I am trying to do this intermittent fasting thing, which is this, what, what is it? Eight hours eating, right? 16 hours off. It's all I can manage. I can never do like a full day. My husband won't let me because I get into a really bad mood. <laughs> so. hangry. Nobody wants a hangry Reshma. That's it. <laughs> So today I skipped my breakfast and now I'm just like clearly not able to take it. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I mean, 16 hours is, is good. Uh, like humble brags here. I've got to like 23 before cracking, uh, doing a full day. I mean, I might as well have, if I got to 23, I might as well have gone to 24. But I think I, think I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, but, um, but yeah, um, I'm, uh, I've been doing a lot of intermittent fasting. It's very, very good, especially... For me, as I get over thirty, to go exactly lift the weight, it's, uh, it's a good That's thing. Skip, skip that breakfast. Uh, I'm, I'm part of that club. So, Reshma, the podcast today is not about intermittent fasting. <laughs> uh, but first of all, before we get into uh, into it, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, and uh, yeah, a little bit about yourself as a as a person. Sure, um, I'm definitely quite an optimist especially in these times I've found <laughs> that uh, it's, uh, it's needed. Um, and then I am an immigrant a couple of times over. So originally I was born in India and we, were, we immigrated into America when I was 10. So that was the first time around. And then I came to Europe about, what, 16 years ago from the US. So second time around as well um, in France, actually, to do my MBA and then moved over to, to Germany and then the UK. So, you know, got to see a lot, lot of um, Europe through, through school and also working at Vodafone for a few years. And then, and then Seacamp 13 years ago. So I feel like that, that's, you know, uh, that's been such a big part of life and journey. And then I have had two kids uh, while, at, while being at Seacamp as, as well, seven years old, actually eight years old next week, and then a two and a half year old. Amazing. Tell us a bit like about Seacamp. What is Seacamp? Why did you start it? As you can tell, being American, it was a big part of kind of my mindset, especially I think those critical years when you're going to university, a few years of work as, as well. And so it was foundational in terms of thinking about and going through the dot-com boom as well as the bust, the foundational kind of around thinking about seeing success at such massive growth and, and scale but yet it being a very US voice around, around that. And so I think working through Vodafone and, and sort of get years of getting involved in, in, in the tech scene, which was very light 13 plus years ago, I you know, had this feeling of there's incredible talent here, but it, doesn't, it exactly doesn't have that global voice and it, and it certainly isn't able to compete 
with those US players. And so that was the genesis of Seed Camp in that I think there were several of us think, thinking, feeling the same way. So, you know, Nicholas Zenstrom sort of uh, starting Atomico at the time from Skype. Um, Saul Klein mainly though was his, his really his brainchild and he was joining uh, Index from, from Skype as, as well. And he's been a prolific in, investor in his, in his history. So there were, I think there, was, there were like-minded people and we all kind of had the same thoughts around the same time. And, and you know, you had things like TechCrunch Europe starting up as well. You had sort of future web apps conference. So things were, things were starting to happen. Some pretty uh, uh, pretty great companies have come out of uh, of Seacamp, uh, TransferWise, Revolut, UiPath. Most recently, Hopin. Yes. Uh, in uh, investments, Hopin is powering SaaS online conferences, and uh, love the uh, the platform, uh, the company, and Johnny uh, uh, as, as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about because I mean the, the, these are companies that have come out of, of, over various times, but all yes. gone on. Uh, Hopin is not a unicorn yet, uh, but uh, probably. Uh, will be at its current growth rate uh, very soon, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but how has your, your your investment strategy kind of developed uh, in really kind of identifying these companies? And then, you know, how has it changed, you know, over the last sort of 10 years, if, if at all? Yeah, and, and, and it has, but it, it's sort of one sort of significant way, which is, I think, if you go back to how we started, um, you know, entrepreneurship, wasn't as much of a known category and there was a lot of education or there was a big knowledge gap basically on on first-time founders particularly and versus sort of repeat founders or again their American counterparts so I would say a lot of our investment strategy um, back in the day and even the kind of founders that were attracted to to Seacamp in the day were very much you know that first time very across the very fragmented parts of, of Europe but particularly I think looking for a lot more education on how to be entrepreneurs and what it meant and what you know what, um, thinking about how to build a business I think compared to then you know, fast forward um, when Tavit really brought his business through, which was a turning point for us, and then attracting Daniel Dines, attracting um, Johnny as well with Hopin. We think a lot about the economy of seed camp. So that there are 400 founders, well, 400 companies, 800 plus founders, and how can we get the best of each other um, towards each other and that knowledge sharing amongst themselves? Um, because often they, you know, they're, they are a mix now, but they're certainly not the same sort of naivete in founding because they spent time now at Spotify, at TransferWise, at, you know, so they've become, they're not, they're still first-time entrepreneurs, but they have a lot of scale operating experience. So, so I think it's much less sort of, um, you know, edu sort of education oriented, and it's much more driving that, uh, uh, driving that peer-based learning. And so I think we look for founders who will capitalize on that, really take advantage of on that. But then in, in a second way, it hasn't changed at all, really, in that we do think of helping build companies that are at least 10, 20 years, you know, that'll be out there, if not, if not a century, right? And so we do, do think the long term and we think of um, big markets to go after and having some very differentiated, unique, defensible approaches in, with which to do that. And so, so we still, you know, we still look for that in a, in a, in a big way. And I, I, I say a lot of times is, and you know, your conference too is, is venture capital is a pathway. If you get on that highway, 
it's hard to get off. So you want to be very thoughtful of getting on. And, and we, you know, we, we are very honest with that to say it's not for everyone. And then we are part of that highway. So we're not pretending, you know, uh, not to be either. So we do look for a certain trajectory of business, which is quote unquote, the unicorn, right? Hopefully profitable ones. <laughs> This year, you know, it's been very challenging, right? I, I guess uh, uh, for many, and uh, many of us have to change the way that we, we work. Um, how has your investment process or approach uh, to, you know, engaging with these uh, founders and startups and investing in them changed in light of the, uh, the pandemic? Uh, not too much again either. Um, I think we've designed ourselves to live in a hybrid world for quite some time. And it started even, you know, if you take YC as a role model for us at the very beginning of like these applications online, and then you mostly meet founders online until you have sort of a time in London when they when they come present to the, the partners and you're making these sort of fast paced decisions on, on companies to invest in. So, so we, we've known how to operate in that world for a while. And it, you know, it's become that much more on online. So, so really not a dramatic change except I think to say we used to be okay with the, the one or two founders coming to London to present to us and, and kind of, you know, not touch and feel, but you get, get my point. So that physical, you know, physical recognition of each other, right? And so now what we tend to do is really try to get as much of the core team on that Zoom call uh, to, so that we really get to know more people, validate you know, the credibility building. And we, I think, reach out more and more into the network to say, do you know so-and-so? How do you know them? How do you rate them? And, and, and so forth. And we see our downstream VCs, so the Series A VCs, C VCs as, as well, doing that quite a lot too, leaning on us to say, okay, this is a CCAM company. How does it rate? How, you know, how have you found working with them? And which, uh, you know, which they've all, everyone's sort of doubled down on the credibility factor. Um, Process-wise, yeah, not, not, a dramatic, not a dramatic change. We've made 20 investments um, completely online since March. So made 20 investments online since March. I'm guessing that you, well, we've obviously in the UK, we've had a, a sort of brief period where people were starting to get back to normal and now it's starting to go the other way. But we know that this is not forever. And we, we, we certainly, you know, we're, we're, we're fairly confident this is not forever in terms of the pandemic being around. Um, but given that you've made 20 investments like online, uh, you know, since that time, why go back to in person? If you think, could, could this be a more efficient way and people not traveling around and flying in planes to meet founders or founders coming over to, to meet you and just doing things? Is, is this a more efficient way? Will this be the future? Will it remain? Absolutely. I think so. Um, you know, I think uh, Johnny says it best, um, unsurprisingly so. He says the future is hybrid. And uh, I think we are absolutely thinking about how hybrid is that? Um, you know, like a car, is it? How electronic is it? And, uh, so, so, so same thing is like, how much do we rely on that? I will say, though, even during the pitch stages, there are those surprising little tidbits that come out just walking in the hallway together um, from our, you know, kind of pitch room to the, to, to the lift or something like that. And it, there, there isn't a shortcut to that and there's no replacement of that. Um, but yes, you know, now not as many of the founders have to fly, right? I think, I think travel in a, in a big way gets, gets impacted and, or even in UK where it takes an hour just to cross <laughs> from one or London, sorry, one from one part of the city to, to the other. So I think that some of those things will, will change, but that physical kind of being the same space contact is irreplaceable. Yeah, no, definitely. And we, we're missing that 
next month with Sastock and the year because usually we're in Dublin and you, you know people go for pints afterwards yep. or you know, you're walking through the park and you're seeing a conference attendees and you have a quick conversation that bit's difficult to uh, to sort of replicate so while, whilst you know it's amazing the tech that we have now with you know uh, like platforms like Popin which yep. is recreating some of the key components of online events uh it, some of these things just you, you know the dinners etc those those pints and you know late in the night um difficult to difficult to recreate uh sort of on, online everybody kind of once the event is done logs off and the the, the kind of the after party part uh, the evening part is is, is missing uh, truly and i think it's part of human nature to kind of close right and then go into what's safe and comfortable and uh what we love about the conferences is is the serendipity the incredible amount of uh, people you meet, but it's also exhausting. <laughs> okay. yeah, definitely, definitely. This is, I, I, uh, with, with our first online conference, uh, SASOC Remote, which was actually, I mean, uh, we, we made a bit of a mistake in terms of when we rushed to pivot, we took our template from in-person and put it online. Uh, and we ended up with uh, 160 speakers, five stages like, across Hopin. There's a bit of overwhelm. There was a lot going on. And then we tried to cater for both Europe and the US. So it was a long event, it was 10 hours per day. But actually, like, so I sat through all 20 hours of the, the event, wow. which was like watching my own TV show. It, you know, it was fantastic. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but then at the end, like, I was tired from watching the content, but sort of physically, I, I wasn't exhausted. Like, my feet, I'd done zero steps. You know? totally. um, and uh, and so, so that was good. So that there's some benefits uh, from that, less exhaustion, because everybody comes home from, uh, you know, conferences like feeling absolutely knackered and ill and hungover. Um, yeah. but they've had a great time and they've made lots of money and, and so on and it served its purpose. But I mean, I remember coming back from Slush and you're just in Helsinki Airport and just like, oh my God, what a heavy, what a heavy week. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but anyway. I think what you should do is offer people those flights to nowhere just so they can, as a, as a raffle, a prize or something. I would take one because I, I love, those sort of moments on the yes. on the train or on the plane where actually you can watch a movie uh, you, you know, can synthesize I, a lot right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um we recently UiPath we've got Daniel Dines speaking at, at Sasokamia um, and they're Europe's first decacorn I don't know what decacorn looks like but uh, I guess UiPath is is the mythical uh, sort of creature there but what are your thoughts on the funding environment here in Europe uh, compared with the US how has that changed in the last decade yeah, and and again, the pandemic sort of helps in in that. Is you know, uh, VCs were to be to be fair, VCs were in sorry in New York and California were waking up to uh, exactly this immense European talent, and it might not shout as loudly, but actually the fundamentals are pretty fantastic. Is um, and you can see it with transfers. They they actually just released their year numbers. I think you know a prof a really profitable fintech, right? And uh, and uh, I know UiPath has come out publicly talking about. Out their aims to to be similar revolutes as 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 well. So I think um, there's been an appreciation in 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 US about the possibility of that happening, and not at small levels, but at those sort of multi billion dollar company type type of levels. So I think already in the last five to seven years, we've seen that inflow quite quite a lot. But a um, couple of interesting things. I think the pandemic makes more of them sort of say, well, does it really matter? I'm in Dallas. You know, does it matter if someone's in Latvia or, or Romania or, or Australia? Um, no, right? It's a yeah, sure some time zone difference, of course, that you can again adapt for. But at the end of the day, if 
people can communicate with each other. That sort of, you know, and their sale and, and the company sales also are impacted in this it positively in the sense that SaaS companies, especially you, you've already been able to sort of sell anywhere at any any time. But again, at the pandemic, even more so is uh, you can do a lot to, to look very local, right? And and sell. So I think again, that's impacting numbers again to the VCs who who are tracking those numbers to say, well, you can sell from anywhere. We can all be anywhere. You know, we we welcome looking at the European talent. Um, and then the other thing I think is interesting, and we'll see. It potentially play out. I think we're seeing a little bit of that. Is the whole China-U.S. Conf conflict as such, um, to, uh, you know, trade conflict certainly as, as such, and kind of the opportunity for Europe as this neutral ground in a in a way. And I think again, capital looking this way to say, well, if we can't really invest, you know, uh, here or there, then then Europe's again a pretty pretty great place to to look at. So I think that those two things have uh, have been pretty instrumental just in the last kind of year even to um to increase the velocity of of china, you know chinese asian capital as well as u.s capital sort of looking in and then the other thing we've seen increase of is family offices in europe uh, i think you know much more kind of that again second generation taking over of family offices to say they, they themselves are grown up in with tech with, with tech tools social media tools um and then them taking ownership of of their institutions to to want to take kind of some of that risk and take it more directly rather than maybe some of the um you know some of the bankers and and, and so forth so definitely a lot of really interesting pools of capital uh, looking at european entrepreneurs do, do you have any advice for European entrepreneurs, the first time founders that are looking for seed funding now uh, in, in this climate? Yeah, I think as as venture capital itself feels competition all, all around, um, you know, at every single stage. And again, in the UK, we've been lucky with or fortunate with policy around SEIS, EIS, and, you know, other countries are copying that as well. There is there is a lot of a lot of different kinds of capital. So I think my advice is, you know, do your homework. I think you can be picky about the kind of investor you want around the table. There are more specialized firms. There's actually more specialized individuals as as well, whether they be, you know, gaming angels or e-commerce angels or or, or, or SaaS angels or, or, or whatnot. So, uh, so, so be picky. And I think that shows to the target kind of VC or anyone you're going after that, that you've exactly done that, that homework. And then you understand the kind of capital you want to bring around the table. And that's attractive to us as investors to say, we've, you know, you've come to us for a reason. We aren't just like, you know, oh, I was doing an internet search and <laughs> your ad came up, right? And so, uh, so yeah, that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Um, we, we, we always end, end the show talking about, uh, to, to our guests, uh, about sort of mental health and, and well-being. But before that, I'd like to get your thoughts on the importance of, of mental health and well-being for, for founders, right? for startup founders, because, uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty challenging to kind of run a business, uh, to be part of a startup, whether you're the founder or, or not. But um, is this something that Seedcamp uh, sort of like thinks about and you know, contributes and works with the founders? Yeah, no, quite, quite a lot. We've actually invested in a company called Spill. And so that is literally, you know, offering solutions around helping founders themselves, but actually the whole team, you know, manage, uh, manage their mental health and and, and putting a little bit of that onus on the company itself, right, to, to, to do that. So um, platforms like that or Peppy around uh, women's health, women's, you know, mental well-being, 
I think not only is it a good thing, I think I think maybe venture capital through the push of you know human consumption, um, we we see that there's it's good and then there's there's money there to be to be made as well in, in the sense that companies are spending on such kinds of benefits for for their for their team. And and yes, I mean I think you know particularly in the pandemic when often founders are already kind of they're young and whether solo or not, um, they're not in big sort of families, right? Generally, unless unless through the pandemic they decided to go back to to whatever sort of family home or home or not, then it's even lonelier uh, if you're sticking to the rules and uh, and not seeing people as much. So it's it's definitely an issue that we talk a lot about, think a lot about. Again, we have different chat channels as well, just for the founders to to talk to each other as as well, so that we're not you know we're not involved in that. So. Uh, so initiatives like that and and someone you know someone said the, the other day is it's fine if you if you built a remote company from scratch because all your hiring meant it was a set group of people that were self-selecting themselves into remote culture and what that means around managing that loneliness and you know ma- managing not having those water cooler chats or the or the coffee or the drink after right and versus everyone's had to go remote. So a lot of those people who enjoy, you know, being in an office are now forced, forced into this. So I think that's such a salient thought. And, uh, and again, you know, we're, we're hoping uh, our companies, ourselves, we, we, we talk about it a, a fair bit. And, and then getting back to you, as, as we started with you, then how do you stay uh, sort of healthy and sane? And how have you been staying healthy and sane in, in 2020? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I think probably the biggest thing is not pretending that we're we're great. You know, uh, uh, VCs tend to tend to do the, I mean, the optimism's there, but uh, but yes, I think it's not pretending that. And then probably just taking advantage of um, the weather we have had is is just be outdoors, just being outdoors as much as possible. Get the kids out as as well, and uh, and trying to you know um, double down and things that that lead to sort of endorphins versus like dopamine hits, right? Thinking a lot about that is like, okay, feels painful to eat that vegetable versus the chocolate cake, but you know, double down on the, on the vegetable. Eat, eat, eat that veg. Uh, definitely. Definitely. Well, uh, sounds great. And Reshma, um, really excited to, to see you speak at, at SAS Lokomia uh, in a couple of weeks, along with there's a number of uh, seed camp companies there. We mentioned Hopin and UiPath and, uh, and some others. Um, uh, so uh, that'll be great. Thank you so much for being uh, such a great guest today on the SaaS Revolution Show. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. If you found it useful, why don't you join us at SaaS Locomia? which is our next online conference. We're expecting around 4,000 SaaS founders, execs, and VCs from the EMEA region, 12th to the 15th of October. It's online, so just grab your laptop, your desktop, uh, and join us. Uh, it's gonna be a great event full of uh, lots of content, workshops, roundtables, networking, matchmaking. You've gotta be there if you're in, uh, in SaaS uh, in EMEA uh, or interested in the EMEA region and SaaS companies and, uh, and VCs within that region. So wanna join us, don't forget to use our code for a podcast listeners, SaaS Revolution for 20% off your ticket. That's SaaS Revolution for 20% off your ticket. Hope to see you there.